0: Welcome in to 2 for one Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for one Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. And it is the time of year for the 2 for one Drafts podcast. The regular season is over. It is time to go into full draft season. We're going to do some reactions to the college football playoff, talk about the open GM and head coaching jobs in the NFL, break into Mike Renner's latest 2021 NFL mock draft for all 18 teams or 18 picks that are locked in for the 2021 NFL draft and our classic Rolling Rooks segment. And I got to tease this one. We interviewed Calvin Ridley and Dave Brock, the Atlanta Falcons wide receivers coach at the tail end of the podcast. A fantastic episode to start draft season. Let's get it. renner in the flesh replacing anthony Tresh. unnecessary rhyme but here we are i i missed you man anthony is great by the way pff underscore anthony follow him on twitter listen to last two episodes is fantastic on the podcast but i missed you man i'm glad to have you back
1: no it's glad to be back i needed that little break because this is it today this is the time it is the beginning officially in my eyes of draft season my favorite season of the year
0: I am, I am stoked for it, man. I, I think this is going to be an absolute fire draft season. The quarterback conversation, a very good wide receiver class. This is In the offseason, I think it's going to be hectic, too. A lot of teams need to make upgrades at the quarterback position. There's, what, six open head coaching gigs, five head open GM gigs. This is going to be a fantastic offseason. And you're starting it right with a dry January. Before the podcast, you were saying, yeah, I might look into getting unalcoholic or non-alcoholic six-packs.
1: Yeah. they don't have any calories either apparently which i don't know how that works i don't think it's just actually drink like, water that's oh, i was just gonna say that's water <laughs> no be. calories no sugar no, no f- alcohol flavor no alcohol that's, yeah that's water. just drink water dude i what actually so it was actually ironic i was looking through Darius slayton's tweets today because he was pissed off about the eagles whatever yeah. debacle which we should probably talk about a little as well yeah um and he was like pimping out non alcoholic Budweiser. He's like, I guess, sponsored has like a partnership oh my with them. And I was like, why is that such a weird to get an NFL player to be tweeting about Dry January is kind of weird. But yeah, I might I might down some non-alcoholic Budweiser. I will not be doing I should, I'll, a dry I'll have January. one on the pod on Wednesday. Really? There we go. Let's yeah, go. Bring, bring on me
0: one too, actually. I'll try yeah. one. I'll try one. We'll see if Lagunitas, the non-alcoholic side, can sponsor the podcast. Let's before we dive into um, the college football playoff reactions. If you want to talk about the Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, Nate Sudfeld saga that bro- broke down or the events that broke down in Week 17, I think people are overreacting to this. I will say it right now. I think people are overreacting to this across the board.
1: Yes. that 1,000%, that, yes. One, the, if any team has a gripe over the occurrences of what happened yesterday, it is the Indianapolis Colts. The Nebulas Colts have a legitimate right because they could have won yesterday, which they did, mm-hmm. handled their business, and gotten screwed because the Browns played a Steelers team without Ben Roethlisberger starting, and the Dolphins played a Bills team that sat down Josh Allen halfway through the game. Now, the Dolphins shit the bed, and they choked, and they had their worst game of the season easily on both sides of the ball, but they they could have actually gotten screwed because two teams that you know were playing better teams than them got lucky by having to face those games in Week 17 Uh, the Giants, on the other hand, after having won six games this season, did not get screwed by anyone. And the Eagles are well within their rights to not play, to not give their best roster out there and to not try to win a Week 17 game Mm -hmm. that they didn't want to win. That if you're thinking about the future, you legitimately do not want to win that game. So uh, I, I think that... If you're going to condone one, you have to condone all of them. and You have to say that Patrick Mahomes should have played yesterday, that Josh Allen should have played a full game yesterday, that all these guys, that you can't sit those guys in Week 17 because if that matters, if it matters to – it should matter to the Eagles is kind of the argument, then it should matter to all of those teams as well.
0: The, the Giants situation or the Eagles situation is interesting because – they obviously don't want to win that football game. They yeah. win that game. They pick at number nine. If they lose that game, they pick at number six. six.
1: It's not and, that big of a deal. it a little
0: bit of, with, yeah, with the quarterback but, class. I think
1: But in this one, I think it's it matters. It with, is meaningful with the quarterback class. I think this is a big deal for the for the Philadelphia Eagles, for
0: the Giants. The Giants players complaining on Twitter that Nate said come in. You should have won two or three more games and you have that division outright. I do think that the Eagles-Washington football team game was one of the more interesting ones. I don't think they needed to see or evaluate Nate Sudfeld on those last three drives to understand that he's not the quarterback of the future. It's an interesting excuse. I don't think they needed to do that. The other interesting game that I do think is that Miami Dolphins game, where Brian Flores, I think, had coach of the year all locked up had to show up against a Buffalo Bills team that didn't need to win that game, was going to bench or seemingly bench Josh Allen after he cleared 40 passing yards and got the single-season franchise record. He ends up playing a little bit longer than that, but they still get absolutely trounced. They played down to the competition, and it wasn't even close. This wasn't a Browns-Jets game where the Browns kept it close but ended up losing the end. This was like an absolute demolishing for the Miami Dolphins, an unfortunate situation. And now they're on the outside looking in at the postseason. Absolutely absurd. And I mean, another, I think a similar situation. And I just want to recap the NFL season or NFL Week 17 with this game as well. Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals when he gets John Wolford and the Los Angeles Rams and lost that football game. Yes, Kyler Murray better. didn't play. That that is part of it. But I do think you have to show up and try and be put a better effort to win that football game. In my opinion, even without Kyler Murray, they're playing their backup quarterback as well. I will say this, though. Roger Sherman, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. He works for The Ringer. Tweeted this out as soon as, like, Strevler came in, the backup that played for Arizona. He had the worst touchdown-interception ratio in the Canadian Football League before going to the NFL. And on his way to a Gray Cup, was benched for the backup quarterback who ended up winning that Gray Cup. I don't know how he made it. I don't know how he made it to the NFL. Either. It's because he's got that sweet picture of him holding the, whatever their the trophy was yeah, called. The tr- yeah, yeah, the, the Grey, Grey, Grey Cup trophy, where he's like got the cowboy hat on and he's got the cigar. And it, it's they just it went around games to where you just it,
1: liked him. You yeah. just liked the guy.
0: I mean, he seems cool. He does seem cool. I'm not, I'm not uh, Quinn, I'm not saying he doesn't seem cool. He seems awesome. It's a Canadian guy, won the Grey Cup as a backup with the worst touchdown interception ratio, is <laughs> now in the NFL playing in Week 17. Not because, you know, the Cardinals are wrestling their starters, they didn't earn that right because Kyler Murray exits that game with an injury. All right, enough of the NFL. Week 17 is crazy. Don't overreact to teams actively tanking. I think the best response is one you tweeted out, saying that you should be, they were in the same situation as teams that were resting their stars for the postseason. Yep. They're trying to win a Super Bowl. Not this year, obviously, yep. but in the, in the future, they're trying to win a Super Bowl. And that starts with having the best draft capital possible. And that, again, is results in a loss of playing Nate Sudfeld late in the fourth quarter. I also think the other tweet that I liked is, we're going to talk about, you know, him benching Jalen Hurts, who wasn't playing all that well anyway for Nate Sudfeld and not talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars playing
1: Mike Glennon for four weeks. <laughs> like that's another situation where you see. Yeah, um, it, it's it's just so happened to be Sunday football primetime. Week yes, seventeen. Yes. Teams have made decisions that are not in their best interest mm-hmm. a lot throughout NFL. history. I
0: also think Doug Peterson to was right to go for that fourth down when they could have tied it up at 17-17. They should have gone for that fourth down. I believe in what PFF hands NBC in terms of the math that suggested that was the better choice and win probability to go for that fourth down. The problem is when you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, the issue is never the execution. The issue is always the decision. Why is that? Why isn't the issue that Jalen Hurts missed an open receiver in the end zone? Or even on the play before, missed an open receiver in the end zone. Yeah. That, or even when they get stuffed, like QB sneak on fourth and one, they don't get it. It's like, oh man, that was a terrible call. Why is mm-hmm. it never the execution? I don't understand that.
1: Yeah, and I think it's because people hate that. It's, and it's funny though when it's it's the opposite when it's a kick. Like they decide to kick a fifty-five yard field goal. Oh, it's the kicker's fault.
0: That's a very good take. That's a very good take. Because like kicker or misses, it. it's like, oh my god, Cody Parkey sucks. Yeah. It's like no. How come it wasn't a decision to kick the field goal in the first place, which also has some probabilities of missing? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. I think people just love to hate on analytics and the quote-unquote spreadsheets. But there were some really bad takes on Twitter last night about that decision, in my opinion. I think there were some bad takes. All right, college football playoff reactions. Let's start with Alabama-Notre Dame. You're wearing the Notre Dame t-shirt today, I guess, out of mourning, like you're going to a funeral. It was absolutely horrendous. This it's- is the Notre Dame. They, they are who we thought they were. Play the clip.
1: The Bears are who we thought they were.
2: And that's why we took the damn field.
1: Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we
2: let them off the hook.
0: Thank you, Quinn. Thanks for playing that. They, they are who we thought they were. Notre Dame was a bad football team with an mm. underperforming quarterback okay. that had a couple hot spots, had a couple hot starts, and then played poorly against Alabama, and Alabama trounced
1: them. They were not okay. I, I people asked me how I thought the game was going to go. I thought it was going to go the way it went. Mm-hmm. I thought Notre Dame was going to slow down Alabama's offense to some degree. Like they weren't just going to get blown the doors off. But you can only slow down Alabama's offense a little. Like they're still going to score in the thirties. I don't care who they're playing this year. Like best defense in college football. I don't care who it is. They will score points because that's how talented they are offensively. They did that job, like holding on the thirty-one. That was their lowest point total all season. I think by eight points. Like getting those. They they did that job. They just they were never Ian Book was never gonna be able to score thirty plus points against this Alabama defense. Yeah. There that's where you have to that's where if you're gonna beat Alabama and I think Ohio State has a chance of beating Alabama, you have to win a shootout. And Notre Dame just does not have the horses to win shootouts. So even the when they total, beat Clemson, they scored twenty seven in the in twenty seven points offensively uh, in that game. I think the, the
0: total regulation. right now, the line for the Alabama Ohio State game is like seventy five. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I we're think it's, about like it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be a shootout.
0: For Ian Book, uh, starting with the Clemson game in technically NCAA week 10, during the best game of his, you know, best single game grade of the season, 85.4, went on a streak. Went on a streak against Boston College, North Carolina, and Syracuse in the three subsequent weeks with 83 plus PFF grades. And the two weeks after that, the two losses to Clemson, Alabama, 60.5 and 55.4. That's the Ian Book we know. That's the Ian Book that when going into that game against DJ Ungalele, like, oh man. Worst quarterback in this situation. Don't think they pull out this win. Yeah. He had a hot streak. He got hot. Faded down the end, and I think that's ultimately why that Notre Dame offense couldn't win in a shootout with Alabama.
1: Every year, I feel like the Senior Bowl invites one of those guys to it where it's like one guy that's kind of just a name to to get to get that fan base in. Almost like a lifetime achievement award mm-hmm. to get that guy in because Ian Book, if he gets drafted, I will be absolutely floored. It's just He does not have the arm playing the NFL, and he does not have... The quick decision making at all, like that's the thing that kind of everyone swept over. He does not throw with anticipation whatsoever in that offense, which kind of kills him. Which kills of, him. That's like that's like a death knell for a quarterback. If you have a weak arm, you don't throw with anticipation. You're not playing in the NFL. He kind of reminds me of, from a success standpoint, maybe not exactly from a play style perspective
0: but from a success at the collegiate level at a big school connor cook who i think still holds like the all-time winningest record for michigan state and started there for multiple years and had some success in michigan state but was never a legitimate prospect right but then he ends up going high in the third round for some of the successes how? that he did, how he did have i did but yeah. i think the raiders traded up for him actually that in that in that dream i'm not 100 sure but from a from a collegiate success from a wins and losses perspective mm-hmm. ian book and connor cook are probably held in the same regard but from an actual draft prospect draft prospects perspective Ian book day 3 potentially depending on how he performs at the senior bowl maybe jumping to ohio state clemson this was a stunner an absolute stunner and i want to talk prospects too more than just why each team mm-hmm. lost the football game but clemson had seven drives in the first half the last drive expired in the second half and they didn't like they weren't pushing to score the football four of their six first drives they went three and out that is how you go down 35 in the first half or get, allow Ohio State to put up 35 in the first half. They allowed big plays on defense. Seth wrote a really, really good article for PFF.com talking about how Justin Fields was absolutely manipulating the middle of a field safety for Clemson. But um, I think offensively, Clemson just laid an egg. Like, and it, I don't think it was completely Trevor Lawrence's fault. He had the bad dropped interception that should have been a pick, and it was awful, one of the worst throws this season, mm-hmm. and a couple of bad fumbles when he was pressing to get back in this game. I don't think it was an awful game for Trevor Lawrence. I don't think his stock is dropping at all. I just think it was a really bad offensive performance for Clemson, specifically in the first half when they got into that hole. And then overall, just an absolutely atrocious defensive performance where Justin Fields had a literal field day against Clemson.
1: No, I think Brett Venables had one of his worst coach games I've seen from the D.C. for... They just they weren't getting lined up in time. Mm-hmm. They weren't getting their like they were busting coverages left and right. It was pretty brutal. But the real kind of story of the game was Tony Elliott being out, the Clemson offense corner yes, being out with COVID, exactly. and their play calling was some Horrendous. of the worst I, I've seen in like legitimate play. Usually when you're at home, like after the game, it's easy to be like, oh, the play calling was bad just when the offense didn't go well. There were plays where you can point to that are like any offensive coordinator that's worth a damn would not have run those plays. When they're going back-to-back quarterback counters with Trevor Lawrence, instead of letting him throw on, like, second and shorts when you're down in the third quarter, that's absurd. Going play-action when you're down 28 Mm -hmm. is never... Like, no one's buying that, and they got almost sacked twice on those. The matchup to me, though, that side of this game was not Ohio State's offense versus Clemson's defense because I think if things went better for Clemson, they could have they won a shootout. Like They could have yeah. put up that many points. It was Clemson's offensive line against Ohio State's defensive line that, again, has some legitimate prospects on it. Tyreek Smith went to town. Jonathan Cooper went to town. Tommy togi close enough, went to town on that Clemson offensive line. That Clemson offensive line really, outside of Jack Carman, none of those guys are going to be playing the league. It's just not a talented offensive line right now.
0: There, there's three prospects, or, or four prospects I want to talk about coming out of these two two games. Yeah. One is Justin Fields. Let's talk about him when we get to the mock draft. Mm-hmm. Two is Devontae Smith, which I think we can have that conversation in the mock draft as well. The other two, I think, are Sean Wade. Or I guess it's just three. I think it's just three. I think it's just those three. Sean Wade is the other guy I want to talk Darren about. Darian Kendrick, too. And Darian Kendrick. Sean Wade earned a 52.0 PFF grade in this game. He has not had a good season at outside corner For Ohio State and I think some of that you can blame on the abbreviated offseason going from slot corner to outside corner in a man heavy system it was not going to be easy for him to have a ton of success this year but I do think that his ability to match and mirror corners on the or match and mirror receivers on the outside is not there to the level where you'd want to draft him as an outside corner in the first round I don't think he's next in line at Ohio State to be this first round cornerback prospect Mm -hmm. anymore
1: no I agree it's just I I don't think he will end up in the first round anymore Uh,
0: I still like his box-slash-slot safety prospects. I think think he played at a high level at that position in 2020. It still wasn't perfect, but I think he played at a much higher level there than he did Mm -hmm. at outside corner. And for that reason, top of day two, even middle of day two, with the guy who, I think he's a former five-star, former four-star recruit, whatever it was, I do think there's enough there to have a very productive starter, and I'll say starter, because slot and box starts in the NFL
1: at the top of day two or the middle of day two. Yeah, I think teams are evaluating and going to have to just look at him as a safety at this point. He he allowed for 100, what, 143 yards in that game. The teams team's going to have to look at him as a safety. and. Cornell Powell was yeah, just playing. Yeah, but I mean, he, he was just not able to play man coverage on the outside. That's just not where you're going to look at him at. Uh, Kendrick's the one that's interesting to me, though, because this is the first real wide receiver he kind of faced all season. Clemson has not faced a lot of dynamic passing offenses in the ACC. I think they skirted around North Carolina, is that right, mm-hmm. this season. So no Diami Brown on his schedule. Four targets. Hundred twenty two yards. Now I think he got a little victimized by the fact that their safeties were out to lunch that whole game and he had no help, but still got ran past by Chris Olave. Like that's not a good sign when Chris Olave is separating from you down the field because his his whole game is not speed. No Smooth. no one's ever called yeah, him, yeah. you know, a speed steer, even though I do think he's playing fast enough for the NFL. But Darren Kendrick he cost himself some dollars with that.
0: Gave up 56 yards to Chris Olave on that deep one. And then a 47 yard shot to Garrett Wilson as well. Unfortunate stuff for Darian Kendrick in this game. All right, let's move on now to the open GM and coaching jobs. We can move quickly and jump to the mock draft. Everyone tuned in to hear this mock draft, Mike. It's, it's, it's shattering PFF's website right now, but let's first start with the head coaching positions. We could probably hold these in tandem for where there is opportunity. Starting with the Jacks, both the head coaching head coach, position and the GM position are open. How how attractive are these openings for the Jacksonville Jaguars and who are some names you like to be in Jacksonville?
1: All right. So, I'm going to power rank the open head coaching positions here right quick. Oh, no, you're I'm going just to power rank you're, go 1 through 6, here. Jacksonville to me is the single most attractive head coaching position and the single most attractive GM position Fair. because of what they offer from a young talent perspective and the fact that you're going to have Trevor Lawrence quarterback. So, to me, they're number 1. Chargers are number two for head coaching position. You have Justin Herbert. You have that defense uh, getting guys like Derwin James back next year. Uh, Obviously, you have uh, Joey Bosa there as well. There's just a lot of blue chip type talent. All you really need at this point, offensive line. Texans, number three, just because, again, you have Deshaun Watson. There's a common theme here. If you got a quarterback, that's an attractive head coaching position. There's a lot you can do with a guy like Deshaun Watson. It gives you a high floor. Your floor... They kind of hit the floor this season, though Texans. Mm-hmm. They hit about as low as you can possibly go for a quarterback playing at Sean Watson's level. So really the only place they can go is up at this point. So they're number three. Falcons, number four. Again, they have Matt Ryan. And then the Jets at number five in terms of head coaching, That a position I'd like to go to. A lot of holes on that roster and quarterback not as sure a thing as Trevor Lawrence at number one, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, whoever it may be. You're going to have to, they're just, they may not hit the ground running. And there's a, there's a larger bus potential there. And then number six, Detroit lions, Detroit lions are kind of purgatory right now with that roster. There's not a lot of true blue chip type of talent players, cornerstone pieces to that roster at the moment. They kind of just have a bunch of guys. And so you're going to have to make your money. If you go to head coach, go to be the head coach of the Detroit lions. I think, I think I'm fine with those rankings where I'd consider a flip. is Texans and Falcons, Texans
0: up to three and Falcons down or Texans down to four and Falcons up to three, because even though Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Matt Ryan by by a mile, he's played outstanding this year, should have been in the running for MVP if the team didn't lose four games. Like he has been that good for the Houston Texans. But I think the Atlanta Falcons still have a top 10 quarterback in Matt Ryan. They have the number 4 overall pick in this draft and a ton of pieces. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. I think the offensive line has they've invested in the offensive line. Jake Matthews still there for the Atlanta Falcons. Defensively, it needs work. There's there's some talent that needs to be added on that side of the football, but I think it's talent that they can add in free agency or the draft. They I think I feel are closer to being a dominant team in the NFL than the Texans are and I think if with coaching this is a team that a lot of people are on board with, and um, to be a playoff team in twenty twenty one.
1: See with the Falcons, though, you are going to have to navigate a quarterback switch within the next three or four years. Like Matt Ryan's thirty six, I believe, right mm-hmm. now, it's you are going to have to worry about that. With the Texans, if you can survive the next two years of kind of having a shitty roster and being no real way of, you know, rejuvenating it, you can. You can coast with Deshaun Watson for the next decade then. You can say, hey, I got this top five quarterback. I'm going to be good at that point. So I do think that that's what swayed it in the Texans. I think area.
0: that's why the Texans are in a position to be a year early on a coach, be mm-hmm. a year early on a on a younger coach, whether he's from the college ranks or a young offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, because they're not going to be good. You know, They're not going to be in a situation they can really add to this roster and free agency or the draft for one or two years. But you have the quarterback. Mm-hmm bringing him in and grooming a coach that can establish a legitimate culture in Houston to where when they do have the resources to build up this football team around Deshaun Watson, you have a guy that has now the experience that would be the hottest name in football in the year that you're going to be good, but already on your roster, already making plays for the Houston Texans. I don't think they should target a guy like a win-now type of coach, an older veteran coach. I think they should go young at that position to try and groom a guy, groom a culture in Houston, to get to a point where they're competitive with Deshaun Watson in one mm-hmm. to two seasons. That's where I'm standing there. Let's move to GMs now. Rank the GM openings for me.
1: So, obviously the Chargers don't need a GM. Chargers uh don't need a GM and the Jets don't need a GM. But you add in the Panthers here, who fired Marty Herney and the football team here who just went last season without a GM. They're just like, "Eh, we didn't need one." So, uh I I'll say number 1 again Jacksonville. You have the most cap space in the NFL to work with. You have Trevor Lawrence. You have a ton of picks to work with. It's like a kid in a candy store. It's like John Dorsey when he got the Browns job. That is ideal. Even though today Shad Khan said he still has final roster control, which. But that quote I think got misconstrued. Maybe. I think a he bit.
0: wanted to be involved. I think he wants to be involved in What's, the picks and yeah. involved in paying the players. I think I saw someone tweet out a kind of a correction or like a, um, an added on piece to that quote where it wasn't as bad as like that initial tweet was. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry too much about that.
1: Okay, fair. Uh, Number two, this one, a little off the beaten path, but I think the Falcons right now are an interesting team. you got a top pick. You have Matt Ryan. You have, like you said, a roster that's built to compete right now. Uh, I think a shrewd GM, you can get that team to a Super Bowl fairly quickly if you make the right moves and the right picks and whatnot. Then I'll go the Panthers at three. There are pieces there. Uh, Again, you have a lot of... Youth on that roster, and I think you have a lot of cap space coming up to get the job done. And then it gets pretty bleak here. Yes, the Detroit Lions at number four. Again, you have a you have some nice draft capital to work with in this year's draft, but you got a roster that's kind of bereft of talent. Then you go football team at five because you are really in purgatory in terms of where you're drafting. Probably going to be 19th overall if they lose this upcoming weekend. Mm -hmm. And then you need a quarterback. And so that's kind of those two don't really mesh. And then number six is the Texans because I I don't want Jack Easterby trying to convert me uh, in that locker room. I don't want to have no draft picks over the next two years. It just, I don't think that that's a GM job that is all that attractive. Even if you got Sean Watson and have some maybe job security with that, I just you're doing you're sitting on your hands for two years
0: the, this is the only order i think you can rank the, the gm openings in the top three are obvious so yeah. jacks falcons panthers you can maybe argue falcons versus panthers but you'd rather have matt ryan in the situation the panthers are in at quarterback they might not get one of the top four guys in this class picking at number eight overall they might be strapped to teddy bridgewater in the 20 mm-hmm. in 2021 for the four five six it's it's pick your poison and you want the team with the most picks and the most opportunity i think you go lions football team texans for the texans for that gm opening my, my opinion there is that they, need to, they don't need to bring in a guy that's draft-savvy, obviously. He's not going to have an opportunity to draft at the top of the round. You can, you can rely on scouts for that. What they do need to do is bring in a guy that's cap-savvy. Cap savvy. They need to bring in a guy that Get can address that this hell. cap situation. Yeah. You know a GM that comes to mind, or a GM candidate potentially that comes to mind that did a really good job in a disastrous cap situation a few years back? Reggie McKenzie for the Raiders. He went into a situation where I think they had the most, the most negative money or dead cap Mm -hmm. in uh, in the NFL, and was able to strip that roster and bring it back to fruition. Hit on one draft, 2014, Khalil Mack, Derek Carr, and Gabe Jackson. He even added TJ Carey in that draft too, late in the seventh round, who's still a player in the NFL. And then kind of struggled to add pieces beyond that. But still, what he did from a cap perspective was really, really impressive. I don't know if he's the obvious candidate for the Texans, but I do think whatever GM comes in, better be freaking ready to look at this contract situation and find some interesting ways to get out of it and get out of this dead money. Are you ready to mock? I want to mock. I want to mock. All right. You published a mock draft for PFF.com today for just the 18 picks that are locked in not going to look at the postseason we don't know where those teams are picking yet just the 18 picks that are locked in it's live on pff.com just google pff mock draft it'll probably be the one of the first things that let's pops hope. up That's you not doing your job right? i'm not doing my job if the seo is trash <laughs> um let's look now at the first pick it's jacksonville jaguars taking quarterback trevor lawrence this isn't a discussion but i have to bring it up there are some people after justin Fields' <laughs> performance
1: Maurice jones drew you may mean-
0: <laughs> Maurice Jones-Drew, Mojo, who was a great running back, by the way. Let's yeah. not throw any Mojo slander on the on the piece no. here. Mojo was a great running back. Yeah. He's tweeting out that the conversation— Underrated
1: also, I believe. What? Like, I think he's underrated in terms of historically. Like, if he goes to a better franchise over the course of his career, or like a team that won more, we would think about him in a much more favorable light. Like, he would be up there with— maybe not Adrian Peterson, but— Wow. Like, he— he was, I mean, he was that talented. The guy ran like a four-three-nine at like 215 pounds and was 7 He was a, he was he was a, a monster,
0: monster bowling ball. Yeah. He was one of my favorite running backs to watch when I was a kid, when I still valued the position, you know. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I still uh, I didn't I love know we were getting onto this them. podcast and giving Mojo praise. I thought it was going to be more, more, uh, more negative than that. But there is still, regardless, Mojo, whoever it may be, people think, there are some people of the opinion, and let's just talk about it, that this this isn't as obvious of a pick anymore. No. The Trevor Lawrence Justin Fields conversation or discourse must happen. It's not as obvious. Do you feel that at all?
1: No, uh, not at all. I, I think just watch, watch like Clemson's offense and what they're asking him to do in that offense, and compared to Wilson and Fields, and it's just night and day in terms of how that's going to look. Then once he gets to the NFL, mm-hmm. like he's asked to make a lot of quick decisions and throw the ball vertically a lot on routes that are ISO routes, like one-on-one type of routes where a guy, you have to trust your guy, basically to give him a chance. That's not nearly as much as what Fields is doing in that Ohio State offense. He's like waiting out crossers, things like that in that offense and hitting a lot of wide open guys. I just don't think that, uh, and Wilson BYU as well. So I, I just do not think that Yes, they could be better than him in a few years. Wilson, Fields, the safety of Trevor Lawrence is why I'd go Trevor Lawrence.
0: I'm with you. Sprint the card in Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is an easy, easy decision. Don't mm-hmm. make it harder on yourself, Jacksonville. Whoever the new GM, head coach is, embrace Trevor Lawrence, win with Trevor Lawrence. Number two, you have the New York Jets taking Zach Wilson, who right now on PFS draft board is the number two player and number two quarterback in this class. Did Justin Fields' performance against Clemson change that at all for you? I know that's recency bias, but it was a damn no. good one—a ninety-two 92.0 plus PFF grade. I, I do think it was an impressive performance. I will say this: my opinion of it is, Clemson's defense played like absolute ass, and it was a, somewhat of an easier performance for Justin Fields. You have to show up. You have to play. You have to play a f- good football game, to, regardless of what Brent Venables and that defense did, who were missing some pieces there and had Skalski leave due to a. Um, Whatever that's called, targeting. Target. They missed it. Nolan yeah. Turner in the first half due to a suspension. Um, but I don't I think Zach Wilson over Justin Fields is still the appropriate take. And I won't even feel the conversation anymore. The New York Jets do not need to build around Sam Darnold and take the best non-quarterback here at two. Or even I don't even think they look into a trade down situation. Stay put at two and take the best quarterback left on the board after Trevor Lawrence comes off at one.
1: Yes. I think you'd be crazy to 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 move down or to pass on quarterback altogether that Darnold was an intriguing prospect coming out Darnold does not hold a candle as a prospect to Zach Wilson or Justin Fields not even close uh, I just do and not I think, think it's the end of the conversation yeah. uh, I do not think they're on that level like that 2018 class was interesting was thought of as this great quarterback class but there was a lot of guys who you would have loved to have gotten like and it's why everyone's like maybe the Browns just trade down and get whichever one falls to them because they're all kind of thought of in this similar tier to me, there is a clear top three tier in this class of guys that, depending on any other year, would go number uh, number one overall. Last year could have been drafted ahead of Joe Burrow, could have been drafted ahead of guys like Kyler Murray in years past. That's how good all three of these guys are. And so th- that doesn't come around every year. And you're in a position with the Jets where they're going to make so many moves in free agency, add so much to this roster over the course of this upcoming season, that you're not going to be drafting top three next year again. Hope like you, you pray I you're not it. so I, I do think that this year you gotta do it you gotta Here. pull the trigger and I, and I think it'll be Zach, Zach Wilson over Justin Fields because the arm is just and, and the off platform stuff and the accuracy is just on just that a notch above Justin Fields and that's no knock to Fields Fields is great in his own right but I just think Wilson is special in that regard number three you have the Miami Dolphins
0: taking offensive tackle Panay Sewell up Oregon I had this in my mock draft as well I still do think that the Miami Dolphins need to consider a quarterback at number three overall. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, the worst case scenario for the Miami Dolphins, and I'm going to stay to this take probably through April. The worst case scenario for the Miami Dolphins is to stay put at three and take Penesol. That's the worst case. I think the best case scenario is to either take a quarterback at three, get the full value out of that pick or trade down with a team that you have trading up for, you know, Justin Fields in this next pick or another team looking to get a quarterback, maybe Philadelphia at six trade down Mm -hmm. and still grab, one of the best non-quarterbacks in this class, whether that's Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, whoever it may be. Panay Sewell, and I agree with your analysis here, is this year's version of Chase Young, just on the opposite side of the ball, yeah. a generational talent at his position. But to get the full value of that pick, I do think that they either need to take a quarterback, increase your opportunity to land and hit a home run at the most valuable position in the NFL, or trade down one spot, two spot. It could be a Trubisky trade, one spot, and still land a Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase at the top of the draft. That is my, that is my take. I don't know if I'm, I'm deviating.
1: No, I okay. So like, yes, it's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. If in all those sort of, like, yes,
0: the worst of those three, but, they could obviously freaking take. But they're still in a, a very, three. they're
1: still in a very good spot because there aren't prospects like Penny Sewell sitting at three every year. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Rams drafted Greg Robinson at two, the Chiefs drafted Eric Fisher at one. Those guys don't come close as offensive tackle prospects to Penny Sewell, like. Wow. You're you're in a you're lucky that a guy like Penny Sewell is there and that you're in a position to draft him. So yes, like you could trade down, recoup value, whatever, but you'd have to get a lot of value in return for me to pass on a guy like Penny Sewell.
0: And I think that's a fair take. I think it's a very fair take. And because, I also because, because, I think there also are any so- Go
1: ahead. And depending on like you say draft another quarterback and depending on what you do in free agency with that offensive line. No one's succeeding behind that offensive line right now. Mm-hmm. Like the way that offense is currently constructed, you don't have quick separators at wide receiver and you have an offensive line that doesn't give you any time. That's just not made for high-level quarterback play. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, God love him, was not playing that, like his pure passing stats were not that great either in that offense. So I do think that like they, they need a lot of help and Tool was not good, but he was also not bad for a rookie. If you drop the snap qualifier
0: to 100 dropbacks under pressure, the number 2 graded quarterback under pressure of the season was Ryan Fitzpatrick.
1: So you shut yeah. your mouth,
0: okay? Right. I'm Fitzpatrick, saying I'm saying from a Put sti- the Ryan Fitzpatrick slander over per, there and carry it with perform, your non-alcoholic beers. Okay, okay,
1: but like his grade was good. His actual passing stats were like were lower mm-hmm. than what you would expect. I'm not saying he played well. I just yeah, don't want to hear I'm it. Saying. I just don't want to freaking hear it. Ryan Fitzpatrick is my guy. Alright, so either
0: way, the Miami Dolphins are in an interesting spot. They definitely 100% should consider a quarterback at three. I think they're in a very similar situation that the Washington football team was a year ago. Mm-hmm. They they have, the pick, they have pick number two. They have a generational talent at a non-quarterback position. Should they take a quarterback? We had that conversation. Should they take Tua? Should they take Herbert? They ultimately go with Chase Young. It's hard to say what position they'd rather be in now. Mm-hmm. They're going to the playoffs with Alex Smith and what left he has, what he has left of his legs. But I do think that how Tua Tungbailoa has panned out, maybe they don't. I mean, hindsight's twenty-twenty, but they're in the same spot, in my opinion. They just picked a quarterback, they're in a position to take another one. They can either take this generational talent like Bene Sewell or they could take the quarterback.
1: And the interesting thing to me is that this is like icing on the cake for the Dolphins, though. Like this is a exactly. pick. That, That's another know, part
0: of the conversation. They, are, they have
1: up. another first round pick. They can they can fix offensive not, you know, not fix offensive, but like they, they can address needs elsewhere in the draft or like fill out that roster elsewhere. You could take another swing in the bat. That's almost like, like I said, icing on the cake because y- you weren't expecting to have a number three overall pick when you made this trade for Larry Mutunsel. Yep.
0: You know what they do? Take Mac Jones at the bat at <laughs> 18. I'm just kidding. Do I'm just one. kidding. Don't take Mac Jones at 18. That would be absolutely absurd. Tua Tungabailoa and Mac Jones. Oh, mm-hmm. man, that would be rough. All right, let's so, get off Mac this Jones pick. would get pretty... He would be motivated, though. I know he would be motivated. I mean, he's graded better in that Alabama system than Tua did. I think that would be a bad decision, though. Take the quarterback at three. (laughs) Take the quarterback at three if you're going to take the quarterback. All right. Four, you have the San Francisco 49ers trading up with the Atlanta Falcons to grab the quarterback three in this class right now, Justin Fields of Ohio State. I don't know if we need to spend long here. If they can pull off this trade and get out of the Jimmy G contract, I think it's the obvious move the San Francisco 49ers. One, I want Kyle Shanahan with a better quarterback than than Jimmy G on a rookie deal to build up the rest of that team. Two, I want him with a mobile quarterback. Mm. I think Kyle Shanahan with a quarterback with a rushing floor like Justin Fields would be freaking awesome. And so much that I think the San Francisco 49ers team, even with Justin Fields as a rookie, seeing what he's done with Bethard and Mullins, could actually be a legitimate team if they can stay healthy. They were the one team in the NFL that got absolutely brutalized by injuries this year. I think they can recover, rebound from that, get some positive regression in that, and they add a quarterback like Justin Fields to help the cap situation, add pieces elsewhere. Hello, hello, one of the most improved teams in the NFL next year.
1: Yeah, so if the Dolphins don't trade at three, I don't see any chance the Falcons stay at four unless unless they themselves draft quarterback. Yeah, I agree. With I, that. I just cannot fathom it would be bad business with the new GM to stay at four because none of the guys after Sewell, like I love Michael Parsons as a prospect, love Jamar Chase as a prospect, them compared to what you can get though at pick you know, 12, 13, wherever you do end up tr- trading down to for a team that wants a quarterback is not that massive. I don't think it's going to be that massive of a gap that someone's going to give you probably a second rounder, maybe another first rounder to get up to this number four overall pick and they need that. They have help. They have holes at a lot of positions in this Falcons roster. That's why they bottomed out this year. So I do think that Someone, and I I think it's the 49 ers for an outline in the article, but the fact that Kyle Shanahan has never had a guy outside of Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan won the MVP with him. And when he did have RG3... Who was a mobile quarterback? He put together one of the best Rookie sort of, seasons. Yeah, rookie seasons ever. And RG3 then without Kyle Shanahan was nothing. Like absolutely nothing and never has been since. So I, I do think that with a mobile quarterback, that could take that 49ers offense to a level that. You get
0: me excited. Yeah. Honestly, I'm getting a little excited. I might crack up an, a non alcoholic beer. I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm getting Wednesday that excited. Uh, uh, the, the other thing, too, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is one of my favorite things. This is one of my favorite things is that there isn't a prospect after Panay Sewell where if you stayed put, a non-quarterback prospect after Panay to where if the Falcons stayed put at four, where they wouldn't be being too overconfident in their evaluation. I yeah. bring that up a lot. You cannot breathe... quarterback. You can't... A, a non-quarterback. You can't be overconfident in your evaluation of a prospect over a non-quarterback to stay put at four with the value of that pick. Because... Like you said, the value of the other picks that you're getting, regardless of how good you think Jamar Chase is, I think Quiddy Pay is the best edge defender in this draft. You cannot be that overconfident. Yeah. Picks bust all the time. You have to trade back and gather value.
1: You're going to get more expected value, more positive expected value if you trade down and gather value. Best back. thing, say you go down to, was it, 13 that they'd be trading down to in this if they, if they do trade with, uh, no, excuse me, 12. Mm-hmm. Say you trade down to 12, and at four you would take Jamar Chase. At 12 you could probably get Devontae Smith. At Four, you take Micah Parsons who are a linebacker at 12 you could probably take Jeremiah Wusikamo it's like a little drop off but I don't think it's that mm-hmm. massive to not get another first round pick out of it. They can take one of the best cornerbacks in this class. I again I don't think it's that people are overvaluing
0: their evaluations. I, again yeah we Kay, this. Greg we're, Russo we're going slow. 12, so, yeah. we're, we're spending a lot of time on the top, which I think is it makes sense. We'll get we'll move a little faster here. One of my favorite Some picks of these here. are obvious though. Some, Some of these schools. are obvious. Yeah. Like this one. Cincinnati Bengals taking Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. I brought it up on the I think the Wednesday episode of two for one drafts with Anthony Trash. This is the obvious pick for the Cincinnati Bengals if Benet Sewell is off the board and they stay put at five. They could obviously trade down, gather more picks. The Cincinnati Bengals, and I tweeted this, the Cincinnati Bengals do not need, all caps need, to draft an offensive lineman at five. They do not need to force, they don't need to draft an offensive lineman if Panesuil falls there. They don't need to. They should. Panesuil will be the obvious pick at five, but they don't need to. What they need to do is address the offensive line in free agency and the offseason. I'll add the offseason to it. Jake Matthews, is one of the bigger cap hits for the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming season. Could be on the market. Go make a trade for a guy like Jake Matthews or another offensive tackle, a veteran offensive tackle that can actually help your team now and then add some interior offensive line pieces like a Joe Tooney, maybe a Brandon Scherf if you can steal him away from Washington this offseason. Or, or, Sign Taylor
1: Moton. Go sign Trent Williams.
0: Or go sign Trent Williams, one of the highest, you know, one of the highest ranked um, offensive tackles as a run blocker so far this season. You don't need to take an offensive lineman at five. Go you get don't... Andrew Whitworth again.
1: He's going to turn forty this year.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so he could go for Whitworth, a little reunion. But I like Jamar Chase. I think he's the best wide receiver prospect in this class. I'm putting him ahead of Devontae Smith. Yeah. Obviously, I think that's obvious in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. I...
0: Jamar Chase over Devontae Smith. Yeah. So
1: since the I... Bengals take the best receiver, uh, and yeah, and I think. You have the obvious pairing of them, and you have the talent level of a guy who feels fairly comfortably, like based off of what he did as a sophomore at 19 years old in college to be a true number one receiver in the NFL, and that just that makes T. Higgins better. That makes Tyler Boyd better. That like that waterfall effect of like it's one of those cascade positions where T. Higgins was your one, now Tyler Boyd was your two. Now T. Higgins is your two, and Tyler Boyd is your three. That just makes that offense. I think it take to another level that. It it just wasn't that this season. And yes, you need offensive line help, but a wide receiver can make an impact sooner, in my opinion, than offensive line. This is one of my favorite mock picks in
0: this draft class. I think it's one of my favorites. I wish I did it in my mock. The Philadelphia Eagles picking at six. Yeah. They grab quarterback Trey Lance of North Dakota State. I think Eagles fans are gonna to overreact to the last part of that. That he's North Dakota State, just like Carson Wentz. We're doing this again. It's a disaster. Let me rephrase the Philadelphia if Carson Eagles
1: Carson Wentz isn't butthurt now. He will be butthurt then. <laughs> the
0: Philadelphia and he is butthurt now also, though. But You have the Philadelphia Eagles taking quarterback Trey Lance, a big-armed, athletic prospect with a ton of tools and easily a top-10 talent in this class at the most valuable position in the NFL in a situation where you desperately need an upgrade at that position. You played Nate Sudfeld for freaking three drives last night I think this is the obvious pick it's better than Micah Parsons there's yeah. so many Eagles fans that want to take Micah Parsons here I do not think that is getting the best value of this pick take Trey Lance at six if he's there
1: just read the tea leaves here Howie Roseman meets with or er, and uh meets with uh Doug gosh, Peterson I'll my mind Meets least Doug Peterson they both have say their jobs are safe two days later Doug Peterson subs out Jalen Hurts doesn't maybe do his best to win that game against the Washington football team to move up three picks if you wanted a linebacker do you really go through all that trouble to move up three picks if you wanted you know a defensive end are you going through all that trouble to move up three picks move up three picks to position yourself to draft quarterback in this class that's why they're so worried about that draft position because going from number nine and, and you're thinking about trading up probably too going from number nine to number f- four or number three is a little different than going from number six, to number three, when a team like in, say like the the Falcons have their eyes on a top, a blue chip type of prospect. They have their eyes on a Micah Parsons, Jamar chase. If you're trading all the way back to number nine, you're not going to get that guy. If you're going back to number six, you're still going to get one of those guys. So I do think that's why they, you know, quote unquote intentionally lost on Sunday night. And that's, what they have their eyes on is this quarterback class and to me Lance makes a lot of sense here well obviously the other three are off the board but because Jalen Hurts can run you're going to you're going to build this offense around a mobile quarterback and around that running game Trey Lance the best runner in this draft class
0: I like it a lot man
1: because also going from nine to six in addition to like
0: just the mathematical value of those two picks they're getting right behind two the two top five teams that least need a quarterback of the top five teams I'd say the Jets, Dolphins. Our Jaguars, Jets, and Dolphins all need a quarterback relatively. They don't have their guy. While Mm -hmm. the Bengals and Falcons are probably in that position where they are obviously not taking a quarterback at those positions, I think they can jump ahead of them with some picks if they need to or trade with them to land a Justin And go from 9-6, to to
1: you jump the Panthers and the Broncos, who could be drafting one of those QBs. Bingo.
0: That's a that's a great that's a, I mean that's a great that's a great play by Doug Peterson. Again, I have no problem with it. I'm not busting out my notes yep. app to let you guys know I have a problem with it. <laughs> I, I I don't have a problem with it. Sorry. All right, number seven. Number seven. I didn't say anybody's name. Okay. I'm just saying I'm not app. gonna mention it. I was waiting for somebody to bring that defeated, up. Though.
1: Or wait. What's the opposite of undefeated? It's always defeated. Never always break defeated. out the notes No, the notes app is an atrocity every
0: sin every single time. All right, number seven. The least sexy pick so far. I'm not I'm not super attracted to it, but yeah. quitte pay. Edge defender for Michigan going to the Detroit Lions. It fits what they want to do. I, I, I like the investment. He's. I still think there's a discussion around who's the best edge defender in this class. He still needs to test as well as people think he will. The production this year was good, not elite, like we thought maybe he could take that step for Michigan. But again, looking at production on the defensive side of the ball, both in the NFL and in the NCAA, it's tough because this was such a hard year for defenses with the lack of preparation in the offseason and how much advan- the advantage was given to the offenses with COVID impacting when you know how often they could practice, etc. I think it was a very tough year for defenses and specifically defensive prospects to produce at a high level.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, the pay pick here, though, the Lions have, like they just have not invested in their defensive line in terms of draft picks, like mm-hmm. at least the edge position. And that was kind of by design under Matt Patricia. And so, yes, they have Trey Flowers, but they left the sort of cabinet kind of bare there in terms of talent. And they're still one of the worst pass rusher teams in the NFL. Like, they have to do something. And edge is a position where you can identify the top talent guys. If you're waiting until round two, round three, to address your edge rusher, it's not usually going to work. The hit rates in those rounds suck. So you want to get that guy early on if you're Detroit. All right, jumping to the next pick here at number eight, you have the Carolina Panthers, which
0: I think you're going to see this one mocked a ton. And outside of the top seven picks, this is where you start to feel comfortable about investing in Micah Parsons, who is a very, very good linebacking prospect, probably the best one we've seen since Luke Kuechly, going to the Carolina Panthers at eight to replace Luke Kuechly. I feel really good about this selection, even though I've gone on rants on this podcast about linebacker value and the positional value of that. Of linebackers, But I do think Micah Parsons at eight, I start to feel more comfortable about the, about the pick.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about Parsons is he, is he still sees himself kind of as like an edge rusher. I was like listening to the interview about with him, and he's I like, yeah, I'm this. an edge rusher by heart. And that's like, I would be interested to see if he does, if a team will give him that chance to rush the passer. Oh,
0: buddy, that changes things.
1: Because he has, I mean, he has everything you could want to be an edge rusher in the NFL, like the size, mm. the length the explosiveness and like he takes on blocks he is the best blitzing linebacking prospect i've seen in some time so that that could be interesting just if if, uh and the panthers like with their kind of collegey whatever defense phil snow runs uh, i think he'd be perfect for
0: that's interesting i kind of want to get Micah parsons on the podcast I'll talk, I'll talk to some people, see yeah. if we can make it happen. Because I'd be interested to see where, where he'd want to play in the NFL. And I, I know I'll get the answer, I'll play anywhere. But I'd like to try and press even further beyond that to see what, you know, what his thoughts are of playing edge defender in the NFL. Because that, of course, increases your positional value if he can get along the edge and actually rush the pass for success. Number nine, you have the Denver Broncos taking Patrick Sertan of Alabama. I love that in Fangio's game. What? I, I brought this up, I think, um, yesterday when I was in the office watching the games with the guys. What Fangio has done with legitimately very few pieces in the secondary outside of Justin Simmons is honestly incredible. Like Michael Ojemudie and um, who's the other rookie corner they're playing out there? They're playing a handful of rookie cornerbacks yesterday. I don't even remember. But Michael Ojemudie among them. Oh, yeah, and uh, Parnell Motley. Parnell Motley. Like, it wasn't perfect by any means, but like what he's been able to do with inexperienced corners this season I think has been really impressive. Adding an actual legitimate top-tier talent at the position at nine I think makes sense
1: yeah i mean they didn't have von miller this year out oh, uh aj boy got suspended towards the end of the year they did not have a ton of talent and still Vic fangio was making some magic with that defense i, I do think that's kind of if you're not going to be in on this quarterback class they've they've already thrown the pieces at offense like they've already thrown it you just got to pray for drew lock and if you're not going to, like I said, adding another wide receiver, adding another tight end, adding another offensive lineman is not going to make that incremental change for Drew Locke. It's going to have to come from within him. So then address the other side of the ball, and I think you can get better at corner.
0: All righty, moving now to the next picks here. It's another cornerback, the Dallas Cowboys taking Caleb Farley, which when I did my mock draft, I had them take Kyle Pitts here. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of Cowboys fans are upset. We've got to address the defense. We can't stop anybody. I do think Kyle Pitts here still makes they sense. I think he's a, he's a difference maker. I said in my analysis, there is no team in the NFL with enough weapons to to not take Kyle Pitts as high as 10. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Dallas Cowboys don't have enough with CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper. But Caleb Farley, a really special cornerback prospect that they desperately need on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, I just think it's a, there's some talent at the cornerback position at the top. You have not a lot of talent on that roster at the cornerback position. Like And Cowboys fans probably rightfully so to be mad because that defense was yeah we say whatever defense doesn't matter but when you're one of the worst like three or four defenses in the NFL which is what the Cowboys pretty much were this year you're just, you're never going to win so they do have to fix something there and I think getting a get a long tandem of Trayvon Diggs and Caleb Farley just building blocks for years to come
0: all right moving now to well, an, an interesting pick for sure I do think that Devontae Smith is a very very talented receiver you have him going here at 11 to the New York Giants who All Giants fans right now want is a receiver. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, whoever we can get, I want a wide receiver to help Daniel Jones in this offense. The Devontae Smith conversation is interesting. No doubt one of the most productive players we've ever seen over the past five, six years we've been grading college football. He's going to probably finish with the best wide receiver grade we've given after Amari Cooper, Mm -hmm. who did it, I think, five or six years ago. The, the question marks with him are one: the production largely came after Jalen Water was hurt, and a lot of that production was schemed. You've called out that he had the most screen passes of what anyone in the country. Yeah, 33
1: screen catches this year. The
0: other cu- the other question mark for Devontae Smith is the body type. He is That's he does not one. have a common body type. He showed up to Alabama as a three-star recruit at 165 pounds, at six foot one, yeah. six foot one, 165 pounds. Yeah. Maybe he comes in at six foot and a half, whatever you know, depending on where he measures in at the combine. Right now, he's only added 13 pounds to his frame. He's not dense. Not What's dense at all. And you look at player comps. I was looking at player comps on Mock Draftable, a site I encourage you to look at if you're looking to like look, like compare body types and athleticism, not necessarily play style. Some names that came up were Rashad Green of Florida State, who has a very similar body comp to um, Devontae Smith, and then Calvin Ridley. But even Calvin Ridley woke mm-hmm. up over 180 pounds you know, yeah. at, at his same. I mean, he's six foot and a half, over 180 pounds. Marvin Harrison Sr. is one that people constantly bring up. He had success at around 180 pounds at a similar yeah. size. Are, is Devonte Smith the next Marvin Harrison senior? I know Kentley Platt. I think his goes by Math Bomb on Twitter. So the only receiver with over 800 receiving yards in a single season, or something along those lines, with a similar build to Devontae Smith is Nate Washington. And I don't think those guys' play styles are any what similar.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How concerned are you with the body comp and the production being largely schemed? I'm a little not. I think the production scheme being largely schemed is by the aggressive. Way. I want to bring yeah.
1: that. I want to bring that. Back he would have 1,500 bit. yards and like 80 catches without.
0: I'm going to
1: take that take back um, but I do think that it's a real thing and it will show up more and matter more at the NFL level Uh, density and strength matters and like a strong catch over a guy who's 19 might not be a strong catch when the guy's 27 and 210 pounds and outweighs you by 30 pounds like that it just it does matter but I think we've seen enough of him at this point to realize that one, he can get off the line of scrimmage very efficiently, which is where I think you'd worry the most. Mm-hmm. And then, two, he doesn't shy away from contact. Like Marquise Brown, he won in college, and he was he was never like there was never any physicality of his game. There's no contest catches. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. And. Even he's, like I think, almost gotten hated on a little too much for not being super productive in that offense. He left a lot of yards, his yards on the football field this past season. But it definitely hasn't translated as well as you probably would have hoped drafting him as the first receiver in that draft class. With Devontae Smith, I think you see the physicality at the catch point. You see him wanting to play a physical brand of football. And I think that's just a necessary – if you are undersized, you can't be uh, afraid of contact and – play only a finesse game, which he does not at all. So I'm I'm not I'm really not too worried about him. I think that's that.
0: the right way to approach the concerns. What are you concerned with? Body type. Where do those concerns show up? At the line of scrimmage and in contested catch situations where he's proven to have success at a very high level in college football. Yeah. But I do think the other side of that is those concerns at the line of scrimmage and contested catch situations show up more in the NFL, similar to the concerns with Joe Burrow's arm talent. You didn't see it a ton. You weren't like, oh man, if he had a little more juice, he'd be a better quarterback in college. But you do see it now in the NFL when he's trying to push it outside the numbers and he's not, he's not mm-hmm. throwing with a ton of anticipation on certain throws. I think Devontae Smith, there's reasons to be hesitant. If you make a completely data-driven decision, this is a body type you don't draft inside the top ten. But from a production standpoint, and, and and feeling confident in your evaluation with his ability to approach the ball in the air and, and and releases, I think you can start to feel more confident outside the top ten. Yeah,
1: we'll see how fast he runs. Like everyone's keeps saying, he ran like a four or five or whatever yeah. last year. Four or five I is a sophomore in spring camp is what Jim I Nagy think, has said. I think he's going to be faster than that because I think he's also gotten bigger since then. Like he was four or five when he was one hundred like sixty five pounds. Yeah. So I do think even though he's still not big, he has gotten stronger since then. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't run in at four least in the four fours. If he runs in the high four fours, 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 that's a huge check. And box. like Deshaun Jackson was 175, or was 175 pounds too, and he's gotten by because of speed and been able to do that. So, yep.
0: All, All right, cool. moving to number twelve, uh, you have after the trading down from four to twelve with the San Francisco Forty Nineers, the Atlanta Falcons taking Kyle Pitts, and you talk about a team that doesn't you don't have enough weapons to pass on Kyle Pitts. Adding him here with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones is in a word, awesome. I think this would be really exciting for Atlanta.
1: Yeah, they, they need to address their offensive line somewhere. I would like if they did that in free agency first to some degree and then not waited because last time they tried to rely on their draft picks uh, to all of a sudden save them with Caleb McGarry and uh, Chris Lindstrom. It didn't work out so well. So I, I think that's not where you, that's not the well you want to go back to. You want to free up your options if a guy like Kyle Pitts is staring you in the face there to be able to draft him. So I do think that that's where I'd go if I was the Atlanta Falcons here. And Hayden Hurst, you gave him a second rounder from him. He's not stopping me from getting Cal Pitts. You can get those guys on the field at the same time easily.
0: Yep. All right, number 13, you have the Los Angeles Chargers taking Rashawn Slater of Northwestern over some of the other tackles that are currently ranked higher than Slater on PFS board. Sam Cosme, I think, is one. Where do you see Slater in this class? Is this your opinion of him changing late in the pro-
1: or this early in the process? I, I think he's very athletic. And I thought of him as a guard earlier on. But I, I do think after hearing some other people talk about him that I, and going back and watching, I do think he could stay at tackle. Like, yes, he is undersized. I think he's only 6'3", like 3'10", which like would suggest for most people guard. But I think he has the feet to play tackle, held up well against Chase Young at tackle, even though they really didn't have a ton of one-on-ones um, in their matchup against each other. And I think the Chargers, with the way they're currently constructed, probably need a guy at guard right out the gate and then a guy who could move out to tackle. And that's why I think Schlater would make the most sense for them.
0: You know what the discourse is going to be if this guy's got short arms. Short arms. <laughs> this is going to be rough. I mean, Jonah Williams now, is he's no a freaking
1: ringer. Garrett Bradbury, but.
0: No, no, but I'm saying I'd tackle yeah, it's I one know. of the most, it's like the biggest thing people talk about. And if yeah. he's 6'3", to ten, statistically, his arms are probably coming under that, what, 33 inch benchmark? Yeah, that I people set would. for offensive tackles yeah. if he comes under that everyone's going to talk about it but i do like it for a fit for the chargers because you said he can't start a, uh you know a guard and kick out um when he's you know ready um minnesota vikings at 14 i think this is another one you're just going to consistently see mocked Gregory Rousseau, a project lengthy athletic edge defender heard of him it sound familiar going to the minnesota vikings to pair up with daniel hunter coming back from the injury reserve in 2021 i think this is exactly what the Vikings want to do and I think Gregory Rousseau is a good enough project to
1: invest him at 14. Yeah, this one, uh, I think if I had to bet, this one's probably like one of the most likely picks I've seen outside of the top 10. I just think if Rousseau falls to them at 14, it'd be hard-pressed to see them pass with the physical tools he brings to the table. Just how they've drafted, like that's every single guy mm-hmm. that they've taken at the defensive end has had a similar physical skill set to Rousseau and Rousseau is even like farther along that, you know, spectrum he's way out there on that end of the physical freaks. yeah
0: i don't think the judevian clowny comps are stupid like out of, out of this world like from how he was used how the way he plays yeah uh, how he was used at miami and then like in terms of freak like this gives this guy is a legitimate freak yeah um he only well, he only played his retro freshman season at miami and was like legitimately dominant playing like yeah. four four different five different positions for miami so i'd be interested to see after opting out we had him on the podcast he talked about that after opting out this season, what he does for Minnesota. Probably, again, a project. Hasn't played a lot of football, but has all these tools in the world. All right, New England Patriots. This would be a dream scenario for them, I think. Landing Mac Jones at 15. And the, and the San Francisco 49ers get, going up and trying to get their guy. Mac Jones at 15 to the New England Patriots. A- again, is Mac Jones the future at that position? Can you be that confident in him as a, as a quarterback prospect? Is he the guy you're building around? You're going to try. You have to. You're not going to do the Cam Newton experiment again. J- Jared Stidham's not it. Give Mac Jones an opportunity as you are in the middle of a very bad rebuild for the New England Patriots right now. And I think mm-hmm. at 15, I, I, I like Mac Jones.
1: I think it's the biggest thing. You could use a wide receiver, but this roster... <laughs> could they? Yeah, like, <laughs> everyone's going to be like, oh, no, we need wide receivers for you. We need QB. Yeah, you do, but you're going to need a lot of positions. You got old really quickly, this Patriots roster. It, it's not good, and it's not going to be good next year, no matter what you do. You're not in the a a great cap situation either, although they do have some space because they have no money tied up at the quarterback position at all right now. So they have some, but they're still uh, like it, I just don't think 2021's going to be their season either. And so at that point if a guy like Mac Jones sitting there, you take a shot, see what you got and then if it doesn't go well, then you're drafting top three next year. Then you take that shot at a guy even higher. Uh, but I do think that they they have to be at least kind of in on this quarterback class. And For everyone saying, oh, Mac Jones, whatever, just product to Alabama, I I think he ends up going fairly high in this draft.
0: Tresh said on this podcast, I'm interested in your take on this, that Mac Jones could challenge Trey Lance for QB4.
1: I doubt it. I just think...
0: The tools are too different, With the
1: success of guys like Justin Herbert and Josh Allen in recent years, Trey Lance is still going to get... He's still going to get drafted highly.
0: I have another take. It's about the New England Patriots situation. How committed... And this one's interesting. I don't know how it works, but how committed is Bill Belichick to being the head coach of the New York, uh, not New York, New England Patriots in this rebuild?
1: That's a good question. Because can,
0: can, can he? I don't know. Again, I don't know. Like it's not
1: one year. They, he thought they could just reload. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah that's what they. That's what they tried to do this offseason, Is tried to make it one year, and we're back at it. And yeah, they had more opt outs than anyone else, and they'll get some talent back. But it quite clearly. They did not have the roster to do that. So I do think that he's is pretty damn frustrated right now.
0: I mean, I'd be at
1: least mulling it
0: over if it was an option, if I was Bill Belichick, to mutually part ways and, and go Check seek ways. out a position like Houston. I feel like, oh my God, think about this. If Bill Belichick, again, I don't understand how coaches can get out of contracts and those things. But if Bill Belichick could mutually part ways with the New England Patriots and go to a team like the, the Houston Texans, who, I and don't have a lot there. They don't have a lot. But they have a quarterback, and I think Bill Belichick has done more with defenses that are you know, makeshift, put-together talents than anyone in the NFL.
1: You, you bring him to Houston? Well, I mean, to Houston, he, if he left the Patriots, he could name his job. He could go to Green Bay and say, I want to coach Aaron Rodgers, and they'd be like, okay, we're going to fire him at the floor. Sorry. Like, he, but I'm talking about yeah. current
0: openings where maybe okay. it makes sense, yeah. and he wants to win right now. I don't think that's the Jags. Well, that's I don't what I'm think saying. that's he the could Chargers. Go to <laughs> I don't think that's the Jags, the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, fair. maybe it's the Falcons.
1: Charge, I think, I think all, Chargers could.
0: Chargers could right now. Maybe this have, is Chargers have, then. But, t- 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 but t- if he, t- he t- wanted to do that, I'd be really, really excited to see it.
1: <laughs> he wants to chill out in L.A., reinvent himself. <laughs> so coach up Derwin like, uh, James,
0: Casey Hayward. Fuck, man, that like sounds Colin pretty Coward. awesome. Yeah. Man, I'm getting a little excited. All right, 16, Arizona Cardinals, Jalen Waddle. You are still of yeah. the opinion, and so am I. We had this conversation before the podcast that Jalen Waddle is a better prospect than Devontae Smith. Yeah. But do you think Waddle goes lower? I think there's two reasons Waddle will go lower than Smith or put, could potentially go lower than Smith. One, the injury. Obviously, freaking fractured his ankle or broke his ankle this season. That's going to have effect. Two, People are going to look at Henry Ruggs, this flyer out of Alabama that's not having success in Las Vegas, and get a little skeptical. I think Waddle's a better prospect than Ruggs. Such a better prospect. And we said that we said that months ago. We said that Waddle's probably a better prospect than Ruggs. I don't think we firmly said it, but we were definitely hinting that he could be, maybe should be. I think there are teams that are going to shy away from him, though, because of the Ruggs' situation and the injury, and that's why he does fall behind Devontae Smith, the more productive receiver this season.
1: I... I bet. I bet he. I bet Devontae Smith does go first. I still like Waddle better. He, like I said, outproduced them when they were both on the football field. Is a much more dynamic athlete than Henry Ruggs. So Henry Ruggs was a straight line, reminded me of kind of Paris Campbell, where like he he wasn't oh shaking God. guys in the open field. That was not his game. He ran past you. He was one cut and then he was gone. Jalen Waddle can shake guys. He can run past you and then he can also shake you, which is kind of just a different level uh, that. Honestly, really no one else has in this draft class. He is kind of alone in his physical profile. Yes, he's also undersized, like 5'10, 180 something. But he averaged 19.2 yards per target, not per catch. Every time the ball was thrown his way is 19.2 yards. That is and not He good. didn't That's have how a works, stupidly but. high average depth of
0: target. Like he was getting yeah. some underneath stuff too, and yeah. just turning it into big just, plays.
1: If Jalen Waddle was there the whole year, he he probably gets more Heisman hype because he probably returns like two or three kicks also uh, and gets... Well, Nick Saban's still frustrated that he returned that one kick when he got hurt. Probably returned, yeah. (laughs) But I I do think if he... And if he fell to the Cardinals here, obviously, you sprint that card in because that's kind of what they wanted Andy Isabella to be, but it really hasn't been.
0: A little bit of a tangent here, but I've been dropping some takes on the Twitter timeline about Cliff Kingsbury and the seat that might be gaining heat. Oh, you hate Cliff. I don't hate Cliff. I don't hate Cliff, but... They started out six and three, and they've completely botched games over the past two weeks. And I know Stravler happened. I, I know Stravler came in this past week. What's your opinion of what Cliff Kingsbury has done with Kyler Murray and DeAndre
1: Hopkins this season? I wrote about this last week. Did you not read? I-, I-, I read it. Okay. I read
0: it. But I'm saying, what's your opinion now after this freaking last debacle?
1: I just don't think the way he has sort of translated his offense to the NFL has been smart. Like it's it's he's too tied to what he knows and, and I think a couple of things really hammer that home one is just like his fourth down decisions this year he was one of the most conservative coaches in fourth downs now I, I think that started, started changing towards the end of the season and two is the fact that it's like uncreative usage of DeAndre Hopkins you have this guy who is your number one receiver and you kind of just plug him at left wide receiver and let defenses know where to roll their coverage every single play and they don't have anyone else. Like this is a scheme that's built to that kind of needs four good wide res, four quality receivers, and you got one, and you haven't adjusted at all because of with that.
0: And they've had good success from their offensive tackles. Kelvin Beachum yeah. and D.J. Humphreys both rank inside the top six. And uh, pressure percentage allowed. Well, no one
1: wants to rush Kyler. Like, you, yeah. sh- you, you got Well, that's part of it, too. And, and they have a quick
0: in. release, yeah. all that stuff. But regardless, it's not like the offensive line has been a disaster by any means. No, yeah, no. But it's... over the past two seasons, in 2019, Cliff's offense ranked 20th in EPA per play. This year, 24th. Yeah. That's, that's not good enough. If you, I don't care and, and then, if you've battled it. injuries. You are the, supposed to be this offensive mastermind with a legitimate, insane talent in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. That's, that's frustrating, in my opinion. I'm frustrated. At Cliff Kingsbury, at the very least, if not lighting a little freaking lighter, a Zippo
1: under his seat. I, there's just not enough. Da- there's no downfield aspect to that offense. It's all. With a quarterback that can throw freaking. Quick game. Throw over the mountains. Screens wide. It's just that, yeah.
0: All right, the Cardinals, Cardinals take Jalen Waddell at 16 here. Maybe unlock the deep ball in Arizona. At 17, let's speed through this. You have the Las Vegas Raiders taking a very good edge defender who had a ton of success against the backup left tackle for Cincinnati. Oh, Poor guy. German-born kid. I've actually had a conversation with him multiple times when I was covering the, the Bearcats a little bit. Super nice guy. Has added a ton of weight. His body has like completely transformed over the past four years. Gets thrown in because I think the left tackle, James Hudson, I believe is mm-hmm. his name, gets thrown out or ejected, whatever it may be. Targeting targeting and he just gets absolutely roasted Ojolari just, just stuck it to him it wasn't even close like his hands looked very good and people are going to highlight those pass rushes on his when he gets drafted the highlight reel is going to include that motherfucker you know the, the Cincinnati backup mm-hmm. and it's it sucks to see it but as Ojolari put, put him in a blender a bit at 17 I like this value and I like it better than the guy you have going next where you see a lot of Mock drafts going with Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo going to the Dolphins at 18. The Raiders could with go with that decision, but I like Ojulari over JOK in this situation.
1: Yeah, I think one, Max Crosby took a massive step back this year, and two, they just don't really have a true speed rusher. That is what is these Ojulari is. They have a couple of like set the edge type of guys. I don't know what kind of defense they're going to be running next year, but everyone could use. A speed rusher, like everyone has room for that in their scheme on third downs and whatnot. So, I do think he adds something to a pass rush that's just been lackluster. And the Ojulari's they're the next Bosa, so they're not as good as the Bosa's, but his brother BJ plays for LSU, also going to be a first round pick. Just get ready for it,
0: man. They're not the next Bosa's, though. I know. No is one's not, the Bosa, yeah. yeah, yeah, that, that Ojulari is not a Bosa from a yeah. production standpoint. Close to what he is. But so for, uh, this past week against Cincinnati, 92.7 PFF passes for grade On the year, a
1: 91.3 PFF it, pass. Rush it is grade. weird, though, how those, like, their families. Are there any other positions where families, like, uh, they all are on, along the line of scrimmage, I feel like? Are there any families, like, at wide receiver that have two guys that are just, like, in the NFL at receiver? You
0: see it at quarterbacks, obviously. Quarterback,
1: too. Like, O line, you got the Martins, you got the Watts defensively. You got any. I'm trying to think corners. I don't know, man. Are real? Asante Samuel Jr. and his son. <laughs> or his dad,
0: I guess, played the same position. Yeah, AB's dad was the uh, Arena League guy that was lighting the world on fire.
3: Oh. That kind of, I don't I know if that, that counts.
0: I didn't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if that counts. Does the Arena League count? <laughs> I'm not I really sure. I guess you're good enough. Um, 18, you have the Miami Dolphins taking Jeremiah Wusukormo, one of your favorites, Notre Dame faithful there. Very, very good linebacking prospect. I agree that the gap between J.O.K. and Micah Parsons isn't all that significant.
1: Cause, and it's because it's at a position where I just don't think you're making that big of an impact yes. also like a yeah. linebacker that's like, the big coverage the w- coverage day. wise they're kind of on a similar plane Uscar carmo might even be better in coverage you just feel safer about Parsons Michael Parsons so is Blitzer better against the run, though. run His player. run defense yeah. is absurd you
0: yeah. turn on his tape in 2019 I don't think you see a linebacker fitting the run better yeah. I think he ranked inside the top five and percentage of run snaps played where he was first to make contact on the player inside the top five in college football if not number mm. one I don't remember the stat specifically off the top of my head all right mike we are running long on this podcast i'm getting calls from chris live from the nbc studios that we got to rush through this but let's get let's get our rolling rooks going and then let's get to calvin ridley and dave brock the atlanta falcons wide receivers
1: coach rolling rooks run through the top five rookies in the useless somewhat useless week 17 all right number one jonathan taylor not useless because they needed to win that game 250 plus yards in that one and my bold prediction if you'll recall Preseason. Jonathan Taylor finishes top three in rushing. Dude finished third to end the uh, season. Oh yeah. Needed to pass hell like yeah. six guys in week 17. He did it. Thank you for making me look smart, Jonathan. That's why he got the top spot. Number two, Jerry Judy had that, what was it, 90-whatever-yard reception? or 92. I think it was 92. Ridiculous speed on that one. What and happened to Jonathan couple, Abram there? A couple releases. Oh, dude, Jonathan Abram <laughs> looks awful. There's like, has... He busts coverages every week, multiple coverages. There was another
0: one where Jerry Judy is catching a I think a crosser on a play action where he like goes to like lower shoulder on the hit. And he just he still catches it on it was there was a couple really head scratching plays on
1: Jonathan Abrams' tape in week seventeen and in the weeks prior. That's like you could say that you could say that every single week. Yeah. But and he also had a couple nasty releases against Trayvon Mull, and I think he forced one penalty. He should have forced another. Um at number three, Chase Claypool uh went for over a hundred, I believe, on the day, had a few other balls that could have been caught, but were or not could have been caught, but could have been online. But yeah, Mason Rudolph throwing it to him this, that day. A uh, couple nice contested catches down the field. Number four, JK Dobbins, dude, averaged six yards a carry this year. It must be nice. Like I, I, running backs probably dream about playing in the Ravens scheme. Uh, he because, was running through some open assholes. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan
0: Taylor, I but think, forced down his tackles and had a better day, but mm-hmm. Dobbins was like, it was fucking open. It was a field day against Mike Quinn, Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs>
1: Sorry, Mike Quinn, but that was – Bengals also, by the way, lost 65-6 to this year against the Ravens. Just completely <laughs>
0: – So the Ravens end up finishing at, with the NFL lead in point differential. But, I mean, does it – I Yeah, how much, I, I mean, When you're just freaking hammering the Cincinnati Bengals Doesn't and, seem fair. and boosting the stats, I don't know. It's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting stat when you think about it like that.
1: All right. And then number five, Xavier McKinney. We didn't see him until week 12 this year, the Giants' safety – Looked strong. Had the game-ending interception, obviously, but that was kind of a gimme pick. Tossed up in the air. Uh, also blew up a screen. Had a couple other nice plays. Was strive for stride with C. D. Lamb. Gave up a catch, but it's a safety guard in CeeDee Lamb. Just being there was enough, in my opinion. So, nice day from him. I think they got a P- player going forward you love to see it i have one clip on my on my twitter
0: right now of jerry judy absolutely roasting damon arnett and getting called but they didn't call penalty on the on defense holding
1: it's a oh that's up, who, but, it wasn't right.
0: it, so but trayvon mullen they also missed one on trayvon okay. Mullen. so the yeah. play before the 92 yard touchdown for judy
1: he, oh, trayvon he just, Mullen got he away with him. a
0: hold too yeah. and then they didn't call that one but judy was roasting kids the first play was a, uh, a slant to judy first read and he just gave Trayvon mullen the business it was it was fun to watch i mean yeah. J- and trish
1: said today that he would take to Devonte smith or jerry judy he's high which is just
0: D- don't don't rip on find someone else trash.
1: next time i can't make the podcast <laughs> quinn you might have to step in for trash
0: next i don't know what's gonna happen we'll have someone else produce the pod all right well that's gonna do a, an absolutely loaded podcast but it's the frick it's the first day of draft season quinn stay up a little later <laughs> have a good time 90 minute, 95 minute podcast here. Mock draft, rolling rooks, coach search, all that stuff. Let's now jump to probably the highlight of the podcast: Calvin Ridley and Dave Brock. Dave Brock first. I talked to Dave Brock. Here's a snippet of the Dave Brock interview, followed by Calvin Ridley.
3: <sighs> but I'll be mean, honest with you. I really think the the breakout started uh, last year. You know, he was he had a run uh, after our bye week. He had a run going in those four games that was was really tremendous, and then just unfortunately got hurt. Um, but but his production was was really really good, and um, you know I think he just really picked up kind of where he left off, uh, you know, starting in this year and and just embraced the fact that, that he was going to be a, a dominant player, and and again his skill set lends and lends it to uh, being really explosive and and. You know, being able to create big plays, he's got great movement. He's got great body quickness. He's got great speed. You know, all those things, and and make him really, really hard to handle.
0: So, how do you think his role changes in the offense when Julio Jones is out? Because he does become that new number one for Matt Ryan. How how much does his role change in that offense?
3: I I think it changes in terms of of, you know how we would how we would specifically game plan uh, and scheme plays for him. Uh, certainly when when Julio's not there but also the the defensive structure and makeup changes you know uh you know Julio when when he's playing you know he really you know dictates the coverage he dictates a lot of double teams he he creates a lot of, of opportunities for the other players on the falcons to to get one-on-one coverage um you know and when who's not playing you know some of those doubles and 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 most of that attention now shifts to uh, Calvin and, and, you know, this season, you know, he's handled that, you know, fantastically. I mean, he's done a great job and, and, you know, continued to to be able to create big plays for us to, you know, uh, uh, chunk plays and, and explosive plays as we call them. Um, you know, whether he's single doubled, They kick the coverage to him. You know, he's been able to handle really anything that anybody's thrown at him defensively.
0: Something I've noticed when, you know, studying Calvin Ridley and looking at his tape, he sees a high percentage, and and most of the Atlanta Falcons receivers do, and I think it's because you do have that combo of Ridley and Julio Jones, um see a ton of off coverage. How are you coaching Ridley and, and those receivers to work against off coverage? Cause it's a totally different ball game when comparing going against press man and working your releases going against off coverage and attacking cornerbacks leverage. How is that? How is that coach on your end and, and how do you think Ridley has handled some of that development?
3: Well, I, I think, you know, it starts with, you know, you, you really try to look at why are they probably playing off coverage? And I, I think Calvin is so good at the line of scrimmage. So good as a release player. Um, you know he's really, really hard to get up and bump. You know he's able to to release. He can win inside, outside. He can win with his feet. He can win with his speed. Um, you know, and and I think when you're when you talk about off coverage, you know you you really have a chance now where you know Calvin's skill set is is amplified because he's going to run at people full speed and you know have the opportunity at least the way that we do things. He's going to have the opportunity to to go out in or up and, and at all different depths, you know, he'll run outs at, at you know, six to eight yards. He's are going to run outs at 12 to 14 yards. He'll run outs at 25 yards. The, the way that we do things depending on whether it's quick game or drop back or play pass. And, you know, the, the route tree that he has is, is really, really big and he's able to do all of it. So, you know, he's, he really is able to, to attack those corners in, in every possible way, whether it's crossing routes, deep routes, um, uh, crossing routes shallow or deep uh you know he, he's done a fantastic job and, and again for him you know he has the ability to win you know at the line of scrimmage versus bump and and when he gets off coverage you know i, I think his speed and his body movement and quickness are are you know the the the, the things that help him the most
0: I mean, you can't bring up Calvin Ridley without bringing up his release package. Is that something he came from Bama and Nick Saban to Atlanta with, or do you, or are you taking credit for any of that? Because he is an absolute technician at the line of scrimmage.
3: Yeah, no, I, I think we talk about um, the way that you release. But I, I think, you know, when you look at a player like Calvin or, or Julio or, or even Russ Gage, who's had a, a terrific year for us, um, you know, a lot of those things. I'm not going to tell you that they don't work on them and they, they don't develop them. And, and, but some of those things are, uh, you know, God-given talents. I mean, Calvin's, uh, Calvin's an incredibly talented young guy physically. You know, he's, got, he's, he's a tough guy. He's got mental toughness. And he's, he is like a hyper, hyper competitive player. And, you know, those, you know, when you have bump coverage, you know, that's the ultimate one-on-one. You know, it's you and that guy. Um, you know, now sometimes because Julio's out now, he sees bump coverage plus a safety over the top. And, and, you know, he's in a, in a double situation that Julio's in most of the time when he's in there. Uh, and, and again, he's done a great job even against, uh, those, uh, circumstances. So I, I wouldn't, I would be giving credit to Calvin, not certainly not taking any of it.
0: I, I have plans to talk to Calvin soon. I think we're scheduled to to talk today, but before I do, I'd I'd love to hear from your perspective, what you think the impact Julio Jones has had on Calvin Ridley? Two Bama guys. Obviously Julio Jones will go down as one of the NFL's best receivers we've really seen. What impact do you think Jones has had on Ridley in his development?
3: Well, I think one thing that, that you know, probably isn't seen as as widely as it should be is, you know, Julio is an elite teammate. Um, you know, he's trying to help all of his teammates in in any way he can. But specifically in the receiver, world, you know, he's been there, and, and obviously the, the Alabama connection and the relationship prior to getting here, that helps because there's a comfort level and, and the ability to to say things and talk about things that, that maybe are a little bit harder if you don't know a person. Um, but, you know, the thing that Julio does, he puts everybody at ease. He, he's going to create a, a situation where he's going to be able to try to help Calvin in any area that that he thinks Calvin needs help and and one of the nice things about julio is he doesn't put any limitations on anybody he doesn't ever want to hear somebody can't do something so you know even something that maybe calvin does really really well if who sees something that that he thinks might be able to improve that he'll he'll address it and uh you know who's a great teammate he and calvin have an have an incredible relationship it's really special to 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 see, I feel fortunate to have been involved with it the last few years and, and I think I certainly think Calvin's benefited tremendously from who, you know, not only as a as a mentor for the lack of a better word, but also because, you know, when Julio's out there, you know, you, you have an, you have an opportunity to, to get a lot of coverage situations that are advantageous.
0: Something, and I, I kind of want to finish with this too, and it's a little bit of a, a technical question that I hope you can answer, is what we've noticed here at PFF is that Calvin Ridley's route depth has, has increased significantly. So has his average depth of target. Do you feel that that's something that was you know placed an emphasis in the offseason What how they wanted to expand Calvin Ridley's role was pushing him further downfield, having him win those valuable routes on the vertical route tree? Or do you think that's by circumstance with Julio Jones being injured as often as he has?
3: No, I, I think, I think, that the the intent was there from the beginning because i think if you look back you would see that i think it's been constant for the year even when who was playing all on, you know but again you can't you can't minimize uh the impact that julio not playing has Mm -hmm. you know that's going to increase your targets it's going to increase the the number of opportunities that are schemed for you in a game you know and and you know, I think if you if you realistically think about it, you know, if you if you got Julio Jones playing in the game, uh, you know, sixty snaps, and and you know he walks off the field with less than fifteen targets, you know, you probably should be thinking shame on you, like you <laughs> you you got to target who when he's playing. I feel exactly the same way about Calvin. You know, it's just more challenging when they're both playing the full game. You know, so when when who has been out, I think you just see. Maybe the best way to describe it would be more of the same, uh, not necessarily different. I think if you went back and looked at the first three or four games, you would see all the things that you're talking about with Calvin. They've just probably increased over time, especially here the last four or five weeks. You know, when 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 who hasn't played in the games? Uh, and and again, I think if you look at at Calvin's performance uh, when Julio hasn't played. It's been at a at an absolutely elite level. All right, I mean, he he's had some of the he's had some of the best games of his career. You know, this year when when who hasn't played? Because I think he's he's taken on that that I don't look at it as a burden, but I, he's taken on that opportunity to to try to help lift the the offense because he knows that that you know we still need that production from from our position.
0: 100%. I mean, he's been handed an opportunity to you know fill in for Julio Jones and has risen, again, has risen to that occasion. I lied. I have one more question for you, and I'll, I'll let you go. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Calvin this as well, but from your perspective, working with these guys every day, what's the level of competitiveness between these two? Obviously, Julio Jones is the old dog, the veteran, the guy you're learning from, but I'm sure there is some levels of competitiveness in practice that people don't see in these games where Ridley and Julio Jones are going at it.
3: Yeah. I, again, I, don't, I would I would think that they are they are competing with each other to be the best they can be. I don't think they compete with each other in terms of, of I think what a what a normal person would think like more catches or more yards or or anything like that. You know, I, I think one of the things that that we're all fortunate to have. You know, with the Falcons organization, is like when you when you look at somebody and and you want to be great, you want to be among the best that have ever done it, maybe the best that's ever done it. Well, he sits in our room, and you can watch him work. You can watch him in the meetings. You can watch how he handles the media. You can watch how he does every all of his business, on and off the field. You know, and and you see that it carries over to being. You know, one of the elite players, I think, in the National Football League ever, not only at receiver, but but in general. And, you know, I think with with Calvin being here, you know, he's able to look at that and, and he's able to, I'm sure, take those things that are going to help him personally be the best player he can be. Maybe be the best person he can be. You know, he's going to ask Julio for advice on, on a lot of topics. It's not just football. And uh, you know, who, like I said, is such a great teammate and such a great person that you know he's he's always willing to help and always willing to to you know try to be the best teammate he can for for those other guys.
0: I talked about this with Brock, and that you know a lot of what it has been is that you've just been given more opportunities from a target's perspective, but still creating the same levels of separation. Um, yeah, I, always get, I
2: always got open since my rookie year here like <laughs> I can get open I just wasn't in the reads at some point sometime.
0: yeah absolutely I, I think let's talk specifically about you know your ability to get open I think something that I've been a big fan of your game for when I turn on the tape is you see a very low percentage of press coverage and among receivers in the NFL you see a lot of off coverage and I think again Brock said this too. It's because you're really good at the line and you can get releases and that's how you create separation. How does route running change and how does attacking leverages change when you are working against off coverage? You know, what what, what in your mind changes? I know it varies by route, but I'd be interested to know how different it is to create separation against off coverage versus uh, you know being uh, at the line.
2: Honestly, I like uh, when they're off. It's because when they're off, I can really separate. I can give them so much speed. Like mm-hmm. they're not touching me in my first five yards, I can really give them so much speed where they're gonna panic and I could just go any direction as opposed to when they're pressed, they can just push me, try to push me and hold me, hold me when it's a little harder, but I still get some type of separation by leaning on them, just giving them certain angles. It's all about alignment and uh, angles and it's all about angles to me. If I -hmm. I get a guy on his feet, like say I'm running a vertical route or a stop route, and he turns and I can get him to just turn. And once I start really running, that's when I know to stop. It's just all about, you know, watching your opponent, feeling it, it's really feeling it and the alignment and the adjustments like right, that I can make between just the, the movements he give me to make it right and wrong. Do you watch
0: a lot of film in game weeks or even in the off season of your opponent, yeah. like specific cornerbacks and those things. And when you are watching that film, what are you looking for tendencies and, and, and different things like that?
2: Yeah, every, every DB I don't win against this, y'all watch them and watch the whole defense. But I'm looking for like, I'm looking at the other receivers they're playing against. What what did that receiver do to, you know, win some of the reps? And mm-hmm. how can I use it? How can I, what, what am I need to do? Is he a physical guy? Is he mm-hmm. just going to let me run off the line and try to run with me? I'd be looking for all little key things to help me go into the game. And <laughs> I actually, like, when I go to the game, I actually, like, when I'm watching film, I actually remember, Mm-hmm. In the game, like what I want to do to this guy. So I'm not like a guy who just watches and I'm watching it for the hell of it. But I'm really watching <laughs> it. I'm going into the game with a plan. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to win.
0: You have to, man. I mean, you yeah, talk to – I think it's very similar personally. I think it's very similar to pass rushers.
2: Pass rushers yeah. go in
0: every game with a plan. They look at their offensive tackle, who they're going against, and try and find a plan to beat them, win their reps. Because yeah. it's, a, it's, a it's a very isolated – matchup wide receiver versus corner it's a battle, it's a, battle. a pass rusher versus outfits to tackle in these one-on-one situations you're looking to win every rep and pass winning every rep
2: just like receiver really
0: yeah i would agree i would agree 100 when i talked to coach brock i, I brought up your release package and, and you create such great separation at the line of scrimmage and i said is that all you is he coaching you are you coaching him up but he said he he said 90 of it or whatever he said is god-given talent man he just <laughs> said it's god sometimes these guys just have talent How much do you work on your release package, or how much is it just God helping you out uh, from the top there?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be real honest. It's um, I I literally train my body. I work out. I the releases. I I that's all I do is think. Mm -hmm. What can I do to you know what I'm saying? But it really is just God giving you know ability. (laughs) I can make the cuts. I can, I can, I can be quick. I can Mm -hmm. be tough. I can be. I can just do it if I want to do it. You know what I'm saying? But. Mm Honestly, it, it, it's, it's God-given, but you, I still go in there with a plan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I really go into the games with ideas, and you know, I watch all the the, the plays that I think I'm going to get. I go over them. I, I try to see how every possible way I can win, whatever he's given me, and that's what I do. Yeah. How, w- w-
0: at what point do you think, whether it be at Alabama or even with the Atlanta Falcons, do you feel like you really started to – get it from a preparation and release package like technically? Because I think the God-given talents got you to where you were at Alabama when you were there yeah. your first two years there. But no since doubt. then, you've developed as a technician, both in no your doubt. latter years at Alabama and then at, and then in Al- Atlanta. When do you think you really got that part of your yeah. game?
2: Yeah, Alabama, I, it wasn't Alabama. I was just good. I was just <laughs> naturally good. Football
0: same, football. same. I
2: was pretty good yeah. in college too. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know anything, man. I didn't know. I wasn't confident. I honestly wasn't confident. Mm-hmm. In Alabama, until I got here and I watched Julio Jones and Muhammad Sanu and Justin Hardy, how they catch the ball, how they aggressive, how how they talk, how just how confident they were in themselves. Like you know, I'm gonna do it, I can do it, I got it. And man, I didn't realize until my end of my rookie year just how confident Julio was. I was just like, man, what's wrong with this guy, man? You know, he could beat everybody. And then my second year, I just started to just try to think like him. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 the better athlete. I'm gonna win every time. I'm the better. So this year I just honestly been like, man, if they stop me, they stop me. But I'm the better athlete. I should win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Catch, you know, I gotta catch, make sure I'm catching. I work on my catches every day. But honestly, I just I try to keep my confidence as high as I can. I wanna talk
0: more about um the relationship you have with Julio Jones. You know, this guy's a future Hall of Fame receiver, one of the best receivers the NFL's really ever seen. And you've had <laughs> you've had the opportunity To work with him since you got there in Atlanta, what impact has he had on you? It sounds like his confidence and the way he approaches the game has obviously had an impact on you. But what are some other things that have done? He's done for you.
2: Honestly, I I always say this, man. They they've made me a really good player. I feel like just watching and listening to him. He ain't nothing he could do. Everybody knows the ability he has, but the thinking he has, like he's gone through everything I possibly can go through. Every injury, every like. Mind thinking like he's gone through and he's not afraid to tell you like, yeah, I I was thinking like that once upon a time, you know what I'm saying? This is what you do to get yourself to this level and to this thinking. And it's really all a mind game. If you already have the ability, Mm -hmm. it's a mind thing. Now you just get your confidence on the right level and man, you you can ball.
0: Coach Brock also said that something that's underrated with Julio Jones, and I'm sure you'd attest to this as well, is that yeah he's this great player on the football field, so productive, but he's one of the best teammates. He wants every single person on the team to have success, and I think that is. I haven't
2: seen anything. I mean, I haven't been. I ain't been on a lot of teams. I've been around a lot of players, but I haven't seen anything like from the like they drafting wide receivers in here. He's the you know the head wide receiver. They're drafting guys and multiple guys. I mean, like even on free agent guys, he's coaching them up. You know what I'm saying? Showing what you know, what you could have did here, and he really cares. He really cares about people. And yeah,
0: they, they've invested a fun. ton at the wide receiver position. He's helped groom every single guy: Justin Hardy, yeah. yourself, yeah. there's a, there's, Cage, a standard, there's a
2: standard here, and he's he's not gonna let you come through here and then go somewhere else and not say, "Oh man, you don't came from Atlanta." You, I see why you, you. You know what I'm saying? There's a standard here.
0: <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. Um, I, I want to talk about next year a little bit you know look ahead to next year and think about how does how does Calvin Ridley sustain this production how does Calvin Ridley sustain this dominance and obviously it's health staying healthy staying confident but what do you think you can work on this off season to make sure you don't come off the top you know you don't you don't let the, you know come down at all going into 2021 and the following seasons
2: yeah i'm uh, i'm definitely going to work on you know every aspect of my game and bigger stronger faster all that but it all really comes down for me honestly staying healthy Mm-hmm. If I'm healthy and I'm out there and I'm feeling good, I should be good. I should be, you know, tearing it up and uh, yeah, I yeah. Mean, Healthy's key, man.
0: I... It's big. <laughs> huh? Staying healthy is big, man. It, oh, it, it's man. so important. It is
2: huge. It's, it's,
0: it's huge. It's everything, bro. Let's talk.
2: Uh, I should have. About... I... go ahead. Man, I should have. I don't know. I should. I should have had a better season than this year, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. Honestly, is that because of injuries, or what? What do you think? What do you think went into that?
2: Uh, injuries, definitely it, all injuries. Man. Dude, we so know first... we
0: have you know what we have to talk about that game where you had zero receptions, where everyone was like blown, everyone was blown away. I mean, if the fantasy football community are, is one thing. I, I'm not a huge fan of that community, yeah. but they're they're losing their minds. Everyone's losing their minds. Best receiver on yeah. Atlanta. What happened in that game? Let's talk about it.
2: Man, no excuses. I didn't. I didn't feel that good mm-hmm. the game. What, what What was that week four?
0: Uh, I think I think somewhere around there, yeah,
2: yeah. So one of those week one, two, or week one or two, I pulled my calf, so I was on that, and then by me playing on it for another week or so, like something like that, mm-hmm. he had my whole leg jacked up. Oh yikes! So I went into that game a little banged up, but I I still should have did it. Yeah. And, um, and I was
0: against Green Bay too. I mean, Jair is yeah. one of the better young corners in the NFL. Yeah, yeah,
2: but- yeah, 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 yeah. But it, you know what I'm saying? Me, I ain't. It ain't no. It ain't. It wasn't that. Yeah, I didn't think it was either. Because if you you watch
0: the tape again, if you and you don't just watch targets, you watch every single route. You were creating a lot of separation, and there were a handful of opportunities you had. Yeah, you were getting open. Let's talk about. And it was
2: cold. It was cold. It was cold.
0: cold. Uh, uh, No excuses. These are reasons, not excuses. excuses. (laughs) These are reasons, not excuses. Nah, they got Um, a really
2: good team, good ballers over
0: there. Absolutely. So, who do you think are some of the better cornerbacks you faced this year, or even faced in the NFL? Some of these guys that really do, you know, give you a good game every single time you see them.
2: This season or period in the NFL. Period. Let's go. Period. Uh I gotta get to Tampa. I'm gonna just say the Tampa corners. They're the they're yeah. tall guy. They play pretty good. Huh? Uh say Tampa. I gotta get the to Green Bay. They always play they got good they play pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh good corner, man. I want to say rookie year. My rookie year Dallas, when I played Jones, he was pretty good. Uh, who else was really good? Damn. Tampa, pretty good. You went
0: for 10 for 163 and a touchdown against Tampa a couple weeks yeah, ago. That day, so. they, that day they weren't
2: that good, but <laughs> they be usually good. I
0: yeah, I mean, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are honestly two of the better, younger cornerback Tams in the NFL right now. I would I'll take agree with Carlton you
2: there. Davis and my, on my team any day.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, Let's talk about some of these. You know who I want to talk about is Jerry Judy, another Alabama receiver that's playing in the NFL. I recently uh, was in on an interview with Xavier Howard, and Xavier Howard was raving about Jerry Judy. This guy can create separation with anybody. He ran a slant that spinned him around. What is the ceiling for Jerry Judy, man? Because he has not had a ton of help from the quarterback position there. Denver has seen a lot of inaccurate passes his way, but – this guy can separate in a similar way to you. I don't know, I don't know who's better there. It's up to you to debate. But uh Jerry Judy's playing he well. I
2: can have it. I ain't I can have it. I just ball, you know what I'm mean? saying? Yeah, that's my little bro. He can have it. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, man, I just the ceiling is there's no ceiling, you know what I'm saying? For me, yeah. I think he's gonna win every rep. Mm-hmm. That's how we think we're gonna run every rep. He needs he. I don't want to, you know, get into what they got going over there. But yeah, he, yeah. He's gonna he's gonna be fine. He's gonna be totally fine. He's yeah. a baller, natural baller. It doesn't really matter the situation. He just, you know, they, they you know, they got to get their things going over there. But he's gonna be. There's no worries with him. Gonna, only a
0: couple. Only a couple more questions for you, Calvin. Then we'll let you go on New Year's Day. Mary, uh, happy New Year, by the way. Twenty twenty one. Appreciate it, Same to you. Of course, man. Uh, how how much do you think your role changes? And, and honestly, uh, Coach Brock spoke to this and said it's just opportunity, really. But how much do you think your role changes when Julio Jones is out? And you've stepped up big, time after time, game after game, when Julio Jones has missed with injuries. Does your role change significantly? Are you running, you know, different routes? And something I've noticed this year is that you're running, on average, according to PFF's charting data, deeper routes on average. And your average depth of target has increased. Like, you're pushing the ball. They're pushing the ball downfield to you. Is that... Some of that because you're filling in for Julio Jones shoes and chasing those big plays. I'm interested to know how much your role does change when he is out.
2: Uh, to me, I don't think that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of stay where I'm at for the last three years, but uh, no, I don't I don't. Not too much. Yeah. No, not too much. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, that's, that's all I had for
0: you, man. I really appreciate you taking side the time after practice and, and jumping on the call. We'll have to get back into it maybe in the offseason as we look ahead to 2021. But best of luck moving forward. I hope this new year is fantastic for you. Thanks again. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth are teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They'll provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership, and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well equipped to help provide you with daily workouts to help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use the code PFF fifty and receive fifty percent off your first month at MooseFit. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website www.moosefit.co.com.co. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's elite annual subscription using promo code Action to receive a year of elite subscription access and. One year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering, tailor-made to make avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. (sighs) My goodness. Interviews with both Brock and Ridley in a lot of ways, turned into the Julio Jones podcast because both both those guys had so many good things to say about Julio Jones. But man, working on a piece right now for Calvin Ridley about how sustainable this third-year production is, I'm feeling very good about Calvin Ridley being that receiver for the Atlanta Falcons moving forward. Until next time, guys, make sure you rate, review, and like the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Asi Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for one